you are undefeated. There is not a battle that has ever happened. There's not a battle that will ever will happen in the future, God, where you don't come out victorious. So Jesus, today as we stand here, beginning of June, God, walking in with whatever it is, whether things are going fantastic, whether we walked in and life is great, we're feeling awesome, we celebrate and rejoice in that. But whether it's a small battle or a big battle like God, we know that at the end of the day, at the end of this time, you will win. You are victorious. And as your sons and daughters, as your kids, God, we are on that undefeated team. We cannot be defeated by the demands of this world. So today, God, we thank you that there is nothing too big and too strong for you. That you are walking with us step by step and in some situations picking us up and holding us dear as we figure out this thing called life. We're thankful for you today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Happy summer, everybody. You can have a seat. It is so good to wake up and just see sun coming through the windows. Life is good. Parents, how are we doing? The kids are home. Your sanity is intact for the moment. It's going to be great. We'll check in next week and see how things are going. You haven't had that full week with the kids home quite yet, but it's going to be great. We love your kids. It's going to be awesome. We are excited to have you in church this morning. Uh, wherever you're at, whatever's going on, we're just pumped to have you with us. And so I want to kind of tell you some of the cool things that are happening as I like to do up here. I, if, you, if we were being honest, I think some of us in this place probably tuned me out during this time. Uh, I don't blame you. I usually do the same thing. But there's some really, really cool stuff happening uh, this upcoming summer. Don, you can turn me down just a little bit. I'm kind of feeding back a little bit. Thank you, sir. Um, we are really excited for next weekend, all right? Next weekend, we're doing something that we do periodically around here called water baptisms, all right? And so a lot of us probably, in, you know, baptize as a baby, you know, at a, at a Catholic church or Lutheran church, whatever it was. But here at the bridge, we do something called um, just water baptism by choice. And what I mean by that is we believe that water baptism is a declaration of your faith publicly. It's, a, it's your way of saying, I believe in Jesus and I'm showing the world this by getting baptized. And for a lot of people, baptism is like, I don't know how I feel about that. There, there's no eternal significance. We don't believe that you have to be baptized to go to heaven, anything like that. But we just believe that every once in a while you, you, get, you get a little lost down the path. And sometimes life just beats you down. You just need a fresh start. And baptism is just that. It's a cool way of saying, you know, out with the old, in with the new. And baptism is just a really, really cool way to do that. So if you have a desire to get baptized, whether for the first time or get rebaptized, we are doing that next Sunday. And historically, we go down to the lake and we do it and we, we have a big potluck. But um, I really don't want to give anyone hypothermia. The lake is cold, all right? Baptisms don't always go well if you go to dunk somebody and they hit their head on a piece of ice. It doesn't go well. So we're going to do baptisms in here in the sanctuary. I got a tank with heaters and ladders. It's going to be awesome. And afterwards, we're going to party because baptisms are a reason to celebrate. And so we're going to do a tailgate right after service. We're going to go out into the parking lot. We're going to have some free walking tacos, tacos in a bag, whatever you call it. And then we're going to do a tournament. But before I discuss the tournament, we need to settle a debate right here, right now. There is a game that you have played or you will play all summer long with some square objects and you are throwing them on a board which has a hole in the middle of it, okay? 
Now, there are two common names for this game, and we need to decide which one is the correct one. So don't, don't, don't vote yet. There is what we call bean bags or bags for short, okay? Bags, as Minnesotans say, bags. Then there is cornhole. All right, so by a show of hands, let's settle this controversy right now. At the Bridge Church, do we call it bean bags? Where are my bean bags people at? Bags. Bags for life, all right? Hands down. Cornhole. Wow. We are a church divided. I don't know how we can recover from this. But you know what? Let's just pray. You know, I'm just kidding. But regardless, we will have a bags, cornhole, whatever you want to call it. We're having a tournament right after service. We're not going to keep you here long. You don't have to stay if you don't want to. But we want to do something fun as a church, right? We want to do something where we can just have some food, get to know each other. A lot of you guys don't know each other super well. What better way than just kind of just get to know them by beating up on them on cornhole, you know? Bean bags, whatever you want to call it. You've corrupted me, you know that? Are we there? There we go. You know, fun fact, I thought about checking the batteries before I started service today, but I didn't do that, obviously. We have fun here at the bridge, if you haven't caught that by now. So one way or another, let's get involved. Hey, we, I know I, I push this every single week, but especially as we get going here, uh, there are these things that we do called connect cards. They're in the chairs in front of you. Though on the back side, there's a, pl- a spot for prayer. There's all that type of fun stuff. But as we go along, if you just want to get connected in some way, if you're like, you know what? I'm not great with the whole relationship thing. I'm not great at going out and talking to people and getting involved. But what I am good at about is like just like kind of stepping in on my own time. I just want more information about stuff. Please, if you have a desire, whether it's women's ministry, men's ministry, if you're looking to go deeper in your faith, whatever is going on, the backside of those connect cards is blank for a reason. So whatever it is that's on your heart that you are wanting or needing, please fill that out. And on your way to service day, just drop it off in the bins over there, along with your tithes and offerings. That would be awesome. If you're visiting with us for the first time, welcome to the most controversial church in the world. Clearly, cornhole bags, all the rest of it. But no, we are honestly so glad you're here with us today. Uh, we, we ask that as we talk about tithes and offerings here, we don't want you to feel any obligation to give because it's whatever you're comfortable with. We are just excited about what's going on here at the bridge. And as we plan and strategize for the future, God continues to lay big dreams on my heart. And I'm just thankful that you guys are getting behind us as a church and saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to step in, we're going to do it, and it's going to be awesome. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the faithfulness of this church. God, I'm thankful that in good times and bad times, God, our church is here. Not just for the bridge, not just for the past, but they're here for you and to be faithful to you. So God, today as we step in to all that you have exciting for us, God, we just ask that you would be with us 
you would guide us and you would go before us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We made it through the whole controversy. That's what I like to see. I have to apologize in advance today because I'm going to break the cardinal rule of pastoring and preaching, all right? When you go to Bible college, I teach you a bunch of fun things and things that are really important. And one of the things that they is, they don't necessarily sit you down and say this, but it's just kind of an unspoken rule, is you never talk about food on Sunday morning. Because as I bring up food, you guys are going, man, I'm kind of hungry. I really want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. And so I'm going to talk about food today. And I, it, it's going to be something that I am really, really passionate about. This thing called pizza. Where are my pizza fans at? Pizza fans are in the house, all right? There is a place in Cross Lake, Minnesota called Rafferty's where for $55, you can behold a 26-inch pizza, all right? So there's a story behind this pizza. That's not anybody I know. I sold that off of Yelp. So she's famous now. But when I was 16, I was with my buddies up in Cross Lake. We were enjoying a weekend of summer vacation, all that good stuff. And so we went to this place called Rafferty's, which had really good pizza, a bunch of teenagers and pizza. What more can you ask for? So we go up to this place, and we're looking at the menu. Wish we get, yeah, that one sounds good, that one sounds good. And then there it is on the bottom of the menu, the big 26-inch pizza. And the mom of my buddy Jake, who, who was, they had the cab, and they're like, you guys should do that. It was me and my two buddies. They're like, you guys should get the 26-inch pizza. And we're like, yeah, we should. We totally should. Like, you know, a, a frozen pizza is like, uh, I think like 10 inches or so, roughly, something along that line, maybe 12 inches. But like, basically, we're all going, we're teenage boys, we're 16. We can slam a frozen pizza like it's no tomorrow. All right, frozen pizzas are light work for us at 16 years old. It's one of those things like you throw in the frozen pizza, eat half a bag of chips, and then eat the rest of the pizza when it gets out of the oven. It's kind of how we roll. So we're like, you know what? Three of us, 26 inches of pizza, not a big deal at all. We got this. Done deal. So like we're just, we're waiting for our pizza. We're, we're drinking a bunch of pop and all that stuff. We're just getting ready for it. And all, like, we're the only people in the restaurant, all right? It's, it's quiet, it's chill, and all of a sudden, we see the kitchen door swing open. And I kid you not, there are two people holding a pan like this. Two people are like doing a balancing act, trying to get it to the table, and they set it down in front of our table, this massive pan. That's a dinner plate, people. A dinner plate, which could fit a frozen pizza on top of it. And look at the size of this pizza. Now, I'm going to show you the aftermath of this picture, of this pizza, because <laughs> we were ready to crush this thing. This thing was as good as done for. And we got halfway into this, and it, it kicked our butts, all right? Like, I was embarrassed to walk away from this table because this was as good as done. I'm also equally as embarrassed that I'm wearing a blue sweatshirt with green plaid shorts. <laughs> so praise the Lord for my wife because she has just taken a full 180. She makes me look presentable. And it takes a lot of work, let me tell you why. It, take, it takes a lot of makeup to make this pig look good. 
things are not always as they seem. I walked into, or we ordered that pizza, and I'm like, this thing is done. It's all good. And we, like, we walked away feeling embarrassed that we couldn't finish this pizza. Now, I will tell you that uh, we did go out for ice cream after this, and so we weren't that full, but I'm kind of convinced that the ice cream compartment's like a whole separate entity from the meal. So I'm going to go with that. But a wise person once told me that things are not always as they seem. It's a common thing I heard a bunch growing up is things are not always as they seem. And I could not think of a better phrase as we kick off James chapter 2 in this Fishing with Gramps series. If Grandpa were here, it'd be something I feel like he would say is, things are not always as they seem. But I love this verse in James because chapter 1 of James is all very intrinsic. It's very personal, right? Like we talked about the last two weeks. James opens up. It's a very, very, very practical book in the Bible. It's about him just kind of sharing his guts about here's how to live a life for Jesus. And so chapter one's all very intrinsic. Chapter one is all about here's when you go through trials, consider it joy. When you're tempted and you're going through stuff, stay consistent. Go through it. Don't just go through the motions. Be intentional about what you're doing. It's all about me, 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 me. But chapter 2 opens up with an entirely new thought, a very different perspective. It swings to how we're supposed to address other people. So James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Chapter 2 really is a bridge. It's going more from just here's how to go about your life and go about your individual stuff. And now it's swinging to here's how you take your personal life as it relates to others. Here's how you bridge that gap. And for a good part of this chapter, it's all about how Christians or people believing in Jesus are to treat other people. They're supposed to treat them fairly. They're supposed to treat them well. They're supposed to go really about how they go through this. And for a good part of this chapter, James really kind of levels the playing field, which I think is super, super interesting. Because if we look here, James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was the brother that came after Jesus. So a lot of times like we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus like the supernatural, awesome guy who's doing all these things. But Jesus was, was a man just like, just like I am. He had two parents. He had some brothers and sisters. Life was great. So it's, it's harder sometimes to realize that he had a brother, and that brother was James. And unlike Jesus, James is just like your average Joe. Can you talk about expectations to live up to? Like, every, every family's got that favorite kid. And you can say, I don't have favorites. Like, you got favorites. At, le- at least in moments, right? Like, there are moments where you're like, I love both my kids, but I like that one way more right now. <laughs> because that one is really making me mad. We love both of our kids. But I am in trouble with my daughter. Because she has some spunk to her. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get called down to the principal's office one day. And it's not going to be because of my boy. It's going to be because my daughter kicked the crap out of somebody. 
My wife's nodding her head. (laughs) You talk about expectations to live up to. This guy, Jesus, had brothers who were not God, just like him. And so I I love what it's so interesting. Going back to what the word says, going back to what the Bible says, this man grew up every single day, every single moment next to Jesus. Yet when push came to shove, when it was time for him to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, he didn't. John chapter seven, verse five says this, for even his own brothers, who James was, did not believe in him. Jesus' own brother, the guy that grew up with him, saw him every single day, did not believe that he was God. They did not believe that he was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world, which I can kind of understand, right? Like if, if my sister just kind of came up to me and said, hey, Derek, just so you know, um, I'm God, I'd be like, let's get you checked out. Because that doesn't sound right. And so it's normal. But yet we find here, John 7 says, they don't believe in him. Yet here we are reading a book written by the same brother who is telling us how to live a life after Jesus. What happened? Where is the connect there? And we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, after Jesus comes back from the dead, after he resurrects, it says this in verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. I've mentioned this before, and I'll say it again, is that Jesus will always go to where you are. You don't have to necessarily go and find him. He will go and find you. And it's a matter of opening our lives up to what he will do in our life. It's a matter of letting just us open the door to what he's doing. He went to James. He went to his brother, his half-brother, and said, here are my hands. Here is my side where they drove it in. I'm back. I'm real. I am who I said I was. I'm here. And it changed him. He, we went from I'm not a believer to now I'm, I'm all in. And here's what I want to show you. What I find is so interesting it's in James chapter 1. I'm going to take you back for a second. We're in chapter 2 right now, but let's go back to chapter 1 for a very brief moment. The very, very, very first verse of this book written by James. Look what it says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greeting. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he not say? What did he not introduce himself as? James, the brother of Jesus. James, a bloodline with the most important person in the world. James, I'm with that guy. I'm related to that guy. No, he, he, he didn't do any of that. He said, you know, what? I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The actual Greek here really goes on to that, that, that servanthood level that I'm just here to work for him. I'm just here to serve him. That was how he introduced himself. He identified himself as a servant because he was modeling something. He was modeling that in the eyes of Jesus, there are no favorites. There are no I love you more than I love you. It is level ground. The same way. There are no favorites. 
I think this can be tough for a lot of us because a lot of times it feels like if we're not the favorite, we're not loved in general. Like if we're not loved the most, then we're not, we don't want the love at all. I think that's really tough. I think a lot of times it's also tough for us because we're always being sized up in our world right now, right? You go to your job, wherever you work, unless you're your own boss, but wherever you work, there's a hierarchy, right? The CEO's here, the CFO is here, all these types of things, but then there's the, the resident service manager. I just stole your job. You're welcome. There's the manager. There's this person. There's this person. There's a hierarchy of things. And as you go up the hierarchy, right, the more power you have, the more money you have, all that good stuff. But a lot of times it feels like if you're not there, you're inferior. If you're not at this spot, then everyone else below you is inferior, Life in general is the same way, this hierarchy of sizing things up. I love Facebook. I love Instagram, but sometimes it's honestly the worst, right? Because you look at that person's vacation. They were just in Maui last week. That is awesome. Guess what I did last week? Cleaned up poop off my wall. <laughs> awesome. My life is great, right? There's this couple who always post like super sweet date nights. And they're like, hey, having, you know, five-star five dinner over here. Yeah. My husband made me mac and cheese for dinner. Awesome. Facebook, Instagram, all this thing. Sometimes we look at the outside. We look at things and we go, they got it going on. And then we compare it to our real life stuff. We compare it to what's really going on behind closed doors at our house. And we go, I wish I had all of that. I wish I got to experience that. They must be more highly favored, more blessed. We do this with sin, too. We really do this with sin. We look at other people and they go, he doesn't struggle with that. He doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. They're a better person than I am. And here's what happens with all those things. We start to gather this input. We start to gather what's going on. And we just assume it's just like every other thing in our world. Everything else in our human mindset is if we sinned less, if we did more good things, then that must mean that Jesus loves us and favors us more than the person who does less. And you might kind of shake your head and go, I don't think that. But the reality is that a lot of us kind of live that way. A lot of us think that Jesus loves us more when we're doing great things, and he loves us less when we're screwing up. We sometimes think that the pastor standing on stage must be so much tighter than Jesus, must be tighter with Jesus. He must have all of it going on. He must, God must favor him and bless him and know him more. Because he's a pastor, when in reality, Jesus loves me the same amount as the person who cusses him out and hates him on the street corner. And that is hard for this brain to wrap around because sometimes it feels like the love he has for me must not be that deep then. That selfish part of us feels that way. God, I'm doing all the right things for you. I'm trying my best. How can you say that you love me the same amount than the person who hates you and is cussing you out? Doesn't make sense. Yet the ground before the cross is level. It's even. He loves the same. I don't have the exact verses for you, but check this out. John chapter four. There's a woman at the well. 
Jesus is going up there. All of his disciples are going to get water. Jesus is alone with this woman. And she's coming to get water in the middle of the day when nobody else is because she knows that she just gets ridiculed in society. Why? Because she's had four different marriages, all that failed. And in Jewish culture, that was a big deal. And the fifth person she was with right now was not her husband. So society just ridiculed her. And what did Jesus do? He loved her. He met her and gave her the same amount of love as he did his disciples and was there for her. In John chapter 11, a few, a few moments later, Jesus goes to a man named Lazarus. His family, his sisters, Mary and Martha, their family grew up knowing God. They grew up doing all the type of things. They were the church kids. And Lazarus dies and Jesus goes there and is there with his siblings and says, don't worry, I got him and prays for him and brings him back to life. Matthew chapter eight, Peter's mother-in-law, same way. She's very, very sick. Jesus goes in and lays her hands on her and prays for her. And then perhaps one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, John chapter eight, there's another woman who gets dragged out into the middle of the courtyard. They call it the woman who is caught in adultery. These religious people caught her in the act of adultery. I'll let you connect the dots there. Caught her, ripped her out into the courtyard, and they say, Jesus, what should we do with this one? What should we do here? We caught her in the act. She sinned. This is grounds for us doing some really, really bad things. And the famous word in the Bible is, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. That he is without sin, cast for stone. Basically, sure, if you guys want to throw stones at her, be my guest, but make sure the ones throwing it are without sin. And the Bible says that the oldest started walking away first because they knew they had stuff going on in their world, their sin. First John chapter four, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You're loved just as much as the person sitting next to you, regardless of what's going on in your world right now. You're loved the same. And beyond that, you're also treated the same. I think that's where in this world things get a little different because the love is the same. It doesn't make sense, but it's the same. And what do you do with that? James chapter two, let's continue on. Verse five. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? This is not James is ripping people who are rich and and glorifying people who are not rich, but it's all about bringing things back to level. It's all about him going, you know what? The world will say that we got to give the best seat in the house to the person who's got the most money. But the person who is dirty and kind of grimy and not so good, like he can kind of sit over there in the corner. James is saying, no, it's actually the other way around. The people who are poor, the people who are going through tough things, they're actually richly blessed with faith. What does he mean by that? It's not him saying Jesus 
loves poor people and dislikes rich people. No, it's a matter of going, people who are, have less are more rich in faith. Why? Because they have to rely on Jesus a whole lot more. It's one thing to have to literally depend on Jesus to come through for you to eat than to know you can have security forever. There's nothing wrong with that. Zero wrong with that. But the whole point of this is about this idea of perception. Just for fun, for a second, let's say we all took a field trip to New York City. I know some of you would rather lick paint than go to New York City. But if we went to New York City and we walked around and I said, all right, sit right here on this corner. And around the corner came a guy who was all sharp dressed in a suit to the nines, briefcase in his hand, polished loafers, right? My first initial assumption would be that he's a successful businessman, a business executive, right? Maybe works in a big firm, does whatever he does. That'd be my first initial snap judgment. Dress as well. If you had a kid who walked around the corner, beanie hat on, skinny jeans, plaid shirt, backpack, hipster coffee surfer, going to the coffee shop to study or do whatever he's going to do, right? That'd be my first initial snap judgment. Other, another one, okay? As we're sitting there, big old diesel truck comes around the corner, okay? Black tinted windows, dually tires on the back, comes around the corner, just a big cloud of black smoke, okay? Door swings open. Who steps out? I, I, I envision some big burly man, okay? One that kind of snapped me over his knee without much pressure, that kind of guy. Enjoys eating steak, right? A man's man, works construction, does something big, right? What are you thinking to yourself if a five foot nothing female steps out with blonde hair out of a big truck like that? Is anybody else kind of going like, didn't see that coming? <laughs> didn't see that coming. Nothing wrong with it, but didn't see it coming, okay? We are so quick, right? And a lot of times it's because we're right, but we're so quick to see a situation and immediately go, I got to read on that. I know exactly what's going on there. I know what their life is like, right? We are really, really good at that because a lot of times we are right. There are a lot of big, burly guys that could really beat me up really easily who drive some big trucks. It happens. But the problem is, What happens a lot of times is those perceptions will influence how we respond to people. How we feel about somebody a lot of times impact how we treat them. And as much as I hate to say that, sometimes that is the case. It's not always that way, but sometimes it is. There are people, I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you for a second. There are people who when I see kind of some of the things that they do, I go, we're not going to get along very well because we see things very differently. And I start thinking that before I even have a conversation with them. Why? Because I see the way they dress. I see the bumper stickers they put on the back of their car. We start to gather what we think right away and then respond. We're already preparing our response. You ever done this one? You have like a hypothetical conversation in your head before you have the conversation. This is a fun one. <laughs> oh, when they come talk to me, I'm going to say this. And when they come back and tell me this, oh, I'm going to stick them right here. I got the best rebuttal coming out of them. I'm going to say this. And they're going to be like, oh, I didn't see it that way. But then they're going to come back at me with this. Am I the only one there? 
I have that conversation all the time, and I'm really good at winning that conversation. But a lot of times that conversation never happens. Or if it does happen, it goes a completely different direction. Why? Because things are not always as they seem. It's human nature to have perceptions. And there's quite frankly, zero wrong with it. You have to be smart. You have to take what you know and be smart about it. There's nothing wrong with your perception. But we have to be very aware of how we respond to people in situations with equality. James is talking to a people around AD 48, AD 50, about 10 to 15 years after Jesus dies. After watching Jesus go and do all these awesome things. And here comes James. He steps foot into a church. He steps foot into a synagogue. And he sees these church leaders. They're trying to settle disputes. I know in the church we never have disputes amongst people. We all get along. We all think the same. I'll do that type of stuff now. But back then they didn't. Okay. So they would come together and the pastor would sit down. They'd have this person saying their case over here. This person saying the case over here. And what was happening is the people who were more highly favored, more externally well-off, were getting the benefit of the doubt every single time, regardless of the case here. And here comes James, and he's talking about we need to be equal, okay? Life in 2022 is complicated. It is. I don't know of a single time since I've been alive where things are more divided than they are right now. Not just red and blue in terms of politically, but there are things where it's like, if you stand for this, then I got to stand for this. If you're going to think this way, then I'm going to think this way. The, the, the middle ground is becoming more and more non-existent, and the sides are becoming wider and wider and wider. And the problem with that is that you are completely right and justified in what you think. But the problem is we can't treat each other differently based upon how we see things. We can't. Can I tell you something? You're not going to like everybody. You're not supposed to. I'm called to love everybody, but some people drive me royally batty. Can't stand them. They just, they, they just like frustrate me without even saying anything. They, I just see them and I'm like, oh, I don't like you, but I'm supposed to love you. So Jesus loves you. You don't have to like everybody. You don't. But we have to love everybody. How does that reconcile? How does that work? You don't have to like that person. You don't have to be buddy-buddy with them. You don't have to go up there and go, hey, let's grab some coffee. Let's be best friends. But what we do have to do as people who love Jesus, as people who are trying to follow him, become more like him every single day, what we are called to do is treat them with the same respect as we would the person that we love with all of our heart. What I mean by that is I'm not saying I'm going out of my way necessarily to try and make amends with that person, but if they come to me and ask me for something, if they need something from me, I'm going to give them the same effort, the same intention, the same attention as I would to my wife. Especially if it's harder to do so. Because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus is who he was because he was impartial. Jesus 
was impartial. He did what was outside of the norm. I want to I want to finish with this last segment in James here. James chapter 2 verse 8. This is our last little section here. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture to love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has been merciful. And here we go, the perfect just bow tie on this entire section. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I was thinking about this this week as I just dug into this. Do you know what's crazy? James was probably talking and pastoring some of the same people that killed Jesus himself. This letter was written in AD 48, which means he was alive and was writing in the time after Jesus, which means so were the other people. Jesus died in AD 33. So if this was 48, this was 15 years later, the odds are James was talking, writing, pastoring to some of the same guys or some of the same kids of the guys who are the ones solely responsible for driving the stake into his brother's side and killing him. Yet here he is, instructing them, pastoring them, and loving them through it all. Do you know how much difficulty that would be? I don't know if I'm alone in this, but there are times when somebody wrongs me or somebody does something wrong or does something to my family. And it's like, I just like get angry, right? Like, I'm just like frustrated. I'm like, how dare you? But if they walk through the doors of this church, guess what? I'm gonna set all that aside. Because at the cross, there's a level ground. There's no favorites. I'm not saying you just forget and just ignore all of it, but you know what? I want to be the same respectful person to that person as the person that I really, really like. Because that's what Jesus did. First Samuel chapter 16, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The world is becoming more and more partial, more and more divided, more and more. If you do this, I'm that. I, I side with this. I side with that. I have heard more of this type of, <laughs> more of this type of verbiage in the last year and a half than ever before. If you even think about this or stand for this, just unfriend me now because I don't want anything to do with it. Anyone else had that one or seen that one? partiality, dividing is becoming more and more. I'm not saying we as the church are supposed to come together and sing kumbaya and hold hands and everything's going to be good and dandy. But what I am saying is that Jesus stood for impartiality. Jesus did what was 
uncommon. He did the exact opposite. When somebody was leprous and had this nasty, nasty disease and everybody excommunicated them and left him alone, Jesus went right up to him, touched him, and healed him. When everybody else saw the woman at the well who had four different marriages that didn't work and was sleeping with the fifth person, everybody else left her alone and said, I'm not even going to associate with her because she's unclean. Jesus went up to her and had a one-on-one conversation with her and talked with her. Jesus did what was uncommon. He was impartial. He loved his disciples in the same way he loved those that were excommunicated from the world. That's what he did because he loved his people. He was known for his impartiality. And so here comes James dropping a bomb saying it's just about treating each other the same. Here's the deal. There are some very, 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 very real things and real topics. Even as I'm talking about this, you're kind of like, oh, if he's saying what I'm thinking, he's saying, I don't know how I feel about this. I want you to put all of these sides off to the side for a second. I'm not talking about specific issues in the world right now. I'm not talking about this or that. I'm talking about what Jesus is calling us to do, to, to do mercy over judgment. You want to talk about counterintuitive, countercultural. Being merciful over being judgmental is completely backwards. Everybody's judgmental. It is what it is. So how much different are we, believers in Jesus, when we go and say, you know what? Everybody else is judging that person. Has anyone talked to him? Has anyone done anything for him? No. What if we did? What if we loved? What if we chose the road that Jesus went? What if we chose mercy over judgment? Here is what I think is even more and more prevalent in our church right now. What if we chose to see ourselves the way that Jesus sees us? Because guess what, everybody? You're not more or less loved by what you do. You're not more or less loved whether you love Jesus with all your heart or whether you hate him. You're loved the same. So what if we leaned into that and instead of trying to do all the right things for the sake of love and just like earning Jesus' love and saying, God, I'm doing it for you. I'm here for you, God. Here, I'm doing it. We don't have to because his love is already at the top. We get to love because he loved us. We get to love and and treat people well because we know what that feels like. What's the point of living a Christian life? What's the point of doing all these things? Not getting angry and, and considering it pure joy and enduring temptation. What's all the point of all of that? It's not to earn love. It's not to make Jesus happier with you. So what's the point? Jesus did all of those things. And the more we become like Jesus, the more freedom we really have. I got a whole bunch of things that are not quite Jesus-like inside of me. Like I said, some people really annoy me. (laughs) You know what? I'm challenged by the way that Jesus loved because it was messy. 
it was messy. There were people that were some really vile human beings that he went up to and said, hey, I see you. How? Because he saw the heart. He sifted through all the junk. He sifted through all the stuff you see on the outside. He got to the heart of the human being and he saw the heart. And that heart was a heart that was put in there by his heavenly father. And that heart is a heart that he could soften. He could get to that heart was one that could beat for him. And so he took the time. He took the energy to go talk to that person. Paul The writer of two-thirds of this Old Testament spent most of his life tearing the church apart, trying to tear down everything that Jesus stood for. But Jesus got a hold of his heart. And that heart turned into a passionate heart for him. And he became one of the most influential writers of our time, writing two-thirds of the New Testament of the Bible. Church, I'm imploring us to do two things today. Let God's love for you be what it is. Let him love you. We're really bad at getting gifts sometimes. And I know this because sometimes you take people out to eat, it's like a full-on brawl who's going to pay for the bill. I got you. No. Let me get you. No. We're bad at getting gifts. But Jesus gave you the gift of love and salvation. All you have to do is accept it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do all the right things to get it. It's just there for you. So do an internal check. Are you trying to earn God's love? Are you trying to do these right things? That's the first thing. But the second thing is I want to challenge us to see things differently when we walk out these doors. I told you how passionate I am about seeing the people of this community come to know Jesus. It's not going to be cupcakes and rainbows, let me tell you that. There are some real old stuff people are walking through. And we have to be willing to walk through the mud with them. We have to be willing to give them the same shot as we would anybody else. We have to be willing to love like Jesus loved. We have to be willing to be impartial. So my walk away from you today is that internal check of, are you trying to earn God's love? Are you trying to perform for him? Because if you are, you don't have to. Everything you do for him to become more like him, you get to do out of freedom, not obligation. But the second thing is, just maybe go into your world tomorrow, today, whatever it is, and your thoughts are going to come. Our snap judgments are going to come. I know they are. Nothing wrong with that. Zero wrong with that. But something I've started to do is there are people I walk by and I just go, Jesus, would you just be with them? Jesus, would you just show them that you love them? I don't know what's going on right now with them. I don't know what's going, what's going down, but would you just, would you love them? Because there are some really tough people to love. Really tough. Don't have to be buddy-buddy with them. Don't have to go up and hug them necessarily. But we can pray for them. That's what he would do. That's what he did do. It's a tough book. It's tough because it challenges and steps on our toes all the bunch. But when we take it and internalize it, it's amazing 
the freedom and joy and peace that comes with it. So you pray with me this morning. Jesus, your word is alive. Your word is active. Your word is uplifting because sometimes your word is sure a toe stepper. God, I pray that today as we walk out of this place, as we go into our role, as we go into our work week, God, would you just give us an opportunity to show your love? God, would you give us an opportunity to shine light in the dark spot? We don't have to have all the fancy words. Don't have to have a whole dissertation prepared. All we have to do is just do what you would do, which is simply say, how you doing? And listen and be God, I pray that the people of our church would share their story this week. They would get to share what you've done in their life. It would make a difference. But God, today I also pray for all of us in this room, whether we would say we don't believe in you, we don't want to believe in you, we don't like you, or whether we would say, We are wholly committed, fully surrendered to your everything in between. I pray that today, Jesus, we would experience that freedom that you love us. That it's impossible to follow the whole law to the nth degree because if we just mess up in one area, we're guilty of all of it. But Lord, we thank you, Jesus that you've paid the price, that you've covered up all the stuff. You've, You've covered up the mistakes we've had and you've given us a fresh start and a new start. God, for those that are in this place and they're not sure where to start or where to begin, I pray that they would just know it just starts with the heart. A heart that says, God, I want you in here. Would you forgive me? Would you make me new? Would you be a part of my life? And you're there. God, help us to go out of this place encouraged and uplifted for what you want to do next. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, this book is tough. This book is really tough. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a little scared to continue preaching through it. Because <laughs> it's tough. But it's good. And I think it's going to really do some really cool things. Next week for baptism, I'd encourage you guys to be here. It's so fun. It is so, so cool to experience someone who gets baptized. It is, it is an absolute party in here. And so if you truly are or even open to it, in about five minutes, I'm going to put a five-minute countdown on here. We're just going to meet in here for a little bit, and I'm going to explain kind of what, it, what it's all about, how, how to do it, all that type of thing. It's going to be all of five, ten minutes long. But if that interests you or interests someone that you know and that you want to be a part of it next Sunday, just stick around after service. Uh, right in here, we're going to, we're going to get it rolling. Uh, but be here next week because I'm bringing a tank in right in here, and it's going to be a party. All right, it's going to be so, so fun. So have a great week. Stick around if you want, and we'll see you next Sunday.